The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It's Thursday, June 9th, 625. That's the date and time update. Weather update, <laughs> very sunny today. It was like the perfect temp today, which obviously, love it. Um, can't have enough. And um, I saw yesterday you sent a picture in our group chat that you had like ice on your car, which is kind of oh, crazy for you. The, there's some crazy polar <clears throat> Arctic blast or something they say, and it's going to be the coldest day. I think Saturday is meant to be the coldest day since 1989 or something like that. So I think I've spoken in the past about how we generally have pretty mild winters, and that's the first time in my entire life I've ever, ever seen ice on a car. So <laughs> yeah, anyway, so yeah. yeah, it's been crazy, crazy cold weather, like freezing not great for reference um you said it was what like 40 degrees fahrenheit yeah i think it was 44 which was about seven maybe celsius if i remember rightly but um like when i drove the kids to school today it was actually four degrees celsius so that would be even less i I can't do the comparison but i'm saying it would be in the 30s probably so yeah yeah it's like like i know here in new york it could it could literally be just like zero out. We don't really get like below where I live anyways, below zero too much, except the wind chill will. But just like, I don't know, just crazy. You have I said it before, but you have to come visit here in the winter. <laughs> miserable like the rest of us. I've been to New York once in the winter forever ago when I was younger. Um, and it did actually snow. We were there for Christmas and they were telling us about how it doesn't usually snow at Christmas time there. It snows later. But yeah, lucky. like here or there, it'll snow like around Christmas time, but it's usually still like not really snowy yeah but then when it's super cold like when it's zero degrees out it's like too cold to even snow really so it's just miserable <sighs> the weather the weather's actually been nice here unless you, unless you can you heard her <laughs> yeah I heard her. <laughs> right yeah, on time peep, peep has made her appearance she's <laughs> screaming from the floor she got her um, rest Come here. it hasn't been raining at least which is good like it's actually been beautiful sunny days not a cloud in the sky just cold but you know it could be worse and what's the what was this cold weather done to elmo he's still around i can't believe it like he is still i'm pretty sure i don't know if i can't remember it's all the weeks are rolling into one but um i saw him like so he's moved kind of down the road but lately i've been seeing him actually come back to our property every day so i think his house must be here somewhere um and my husband took a video yesterday he was just on the road just casually walking on the road i'm guessing the road is probably the warmest part because it's you know gravel like holds heat yeah it retains heat so he's just walking and not a care in the world my husband had to drive like so slowly (laughs) till he could go around him but he just doesn't care he just like owns the road (laughs) he's very funny another elmo week I saw one of our neighbors the other day and she was out and I stopped the car and talked to her and she was saying she's lived here for 22 years and she's never, ever seen an echidna. Really? <laughs> so I was like, wow, we are lucky. Wow. <laughs> Weird times, you are ice and echidnas. <laughs> it's all happening here. <laughs> for my, my weekend update, I have so much to fucking do. I have my sister's bridal shower, so I've been very exhausted these last couple of weeks trying to plan and figure stuff out with my mom. Like planning an event is so exhausting and expensive. I know. And then Sunday, I'm going to try on wedding dresses. Woohoo! That's so exciting. 
Yeah, I'm just like, get ordering. You got to order them so far in advance. I know. I'm just like I'm like a year out, so I just don't even know. Like I know what to expect because I went with my sister, but I just don't even know what type of dress I like. Like my sister pictures out the first dress. Like that's oh, wow. definitely not going to happen to me. <laughs> you never know, might. They always say uh, that it happens quite a lot. Like the first one you try on is usually, or a lot of the times, is the one. She like kind of had an idea of like what designer and stuff she liked and like what style she liked, but she's also just like perfectly skinny and tan, so like anything <laughs> looks good on her. And then with me, I have like bigger hips and like a bigger butt, so I'm just like I don't know, whatever looks good on me is what I want. <laughs> Very exciting. So good place to start. I've got a thousand nine-year-olds coming over to our place tonight for my daughter's birthday, so that's going to be fun. <laughs> fun uh, Friday night. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fun. Yeah, I've ordered, we've set up, like booked in this lady who's going to come and set up indoor teepees for them. So they'll sleep in there and then we're going to go bowling. So it'll actually be fun. Didn't you do something like that last year or something? For my other daughter. My other daughter had that. So now Luella wanted it. Her turn to have it. (laughs) She's having a magic garden theme. So we went and bought all decorations the other day. So she's hung up vines and things like that. She's already... (laughs) She's a little party planner. Oh, good. She can come play in this bridal shower. <laughs> Send she, her like, over. She would love to do that for an actual job. Like she writes, I've seen like she's got little checklists of things to do at the party and it's like get home, eat, get changed. You know, like she's got oh, a yeah, dance I in saw, a minute. I saw this list like that on Reddit. It was like someone uploaded a list that their kid made for like a sleepover they were having <laughs> and it was literally like pop popcorn do makeup play prank on stacy and then it was like summon a demon and then it was just like went back to like have dinner have dessert it's like casual casual demon summoning you'll have to um post pictures of the little teepees on your yes, instagram I will. my daughter's told me that she wants me to um like blindfold her to lead her in so she can have a review oh my god oh. What is going <laughs> so on? rude Far out. Oh, hold on one second sorry hold on all right, so I guess we'll just get right into it. We're actually recording two episodes today, and we're going to record two episodes next week because we're trying to prep for Olivia's big trip to the USA. So yeah. this one will be fun. The next one, we might week. be a little tired. <laughs> so this episode, we're going to talk about Moms Who Murder Part 2. We did this before. I figured it could be sadly like a reoccurring theme since it does happen semi-frequently. I I said to you too that a lot of the ones that we're talking about today um, are very, very recent. So I don't know, you know, we had a little chat about it, what, you know, what might be causing these things to happen. Um, But yeah, it's definitely a recurring problem that seems to happen all the time. Um, So we're going to talk about five different stories today. They're all pretty short, so we'll just get into a few of them and then kind of discuss our thoughts on the matter at the end. We're going to start with one about um, Julissa Thaler, and she's from Minnesota. Yeah, well, happening today at 1.30 this afternoon, Ulyssa Thayer will make her first appearance in court. She's accused of killing her six-year-old son, Eli Hart, and the details outlined in this criminal complaint are horrific. Documents allege Thaler shot him up to nine times. Those documents say police found his body and a shotgun in the trunk of the car she was driving, which police pulled over on Friday. Eli's father's fiance told us that Dakota County Social Services took custody of Eli in January 2021 because of Thaler's deteriorating mental health and alleged drug use. 
New court documents show the county filed a child in need of protection or service, also called CHIPS. The documents show two months ago, Eli's father filed a petition to get custody after his fiance says the county granted Thaler unsupervised visits. I am beyond frustrated that the system failed Eli, and that's why I'm speaking out. Uh, this story is about the murder of six-year-old Eli Hart by his mother, Julissa Thaler. Eli was born to Julissa and a man named Tori Hart. They met in, in 2013 when they were both 19. Uh, Tori has said that Julissa experienced mental health problems between the ages of 13 and 18. He said, though, that she seemed, you know, relatively fine after that until she became pregnant with Eli in 2015. So she would have been around 21, I believe, then. And she stopped taking her medication. Their relationship deteriorated pretty quickly after that. And Tori moved out in 2016 after Julissa filed a domestic abuse complaint against him. She told police at this time that Tori hurt her during an argument and threatened to kill her with a shotgun. No charges, though, were filed by police at that time due to, quote, insufficient evidence. In another instance, Julissa told police that Tori had threatened to kill her if she ever left him. She withdrew that complaint, though, three days later, and she told the police, quote, that because of her mental health issues, she constantly accuses Tori of things that he doesn't do. Julissa moved in with her grandmother, a woman named Linda Genrich, after the breakup. Linda has been quite vocal and there's been a lot of interviews with her about this case. She has said that she believed Julissa's stories of abuse at first and she said she's good at manipulating people. I know that. So Julissa and Tori remained separated after their breakup until 2019. They, you know, had nothing much to do with each other. Julissa then showed up at the wedding of Tori's sister uninvited. A few months after that, she contacted the police in St. Paul, Minnesota, and accused Tori of putting a nail bomb in her car. No charges were filed. Tori was also living two hours away in Wisconsin at the time, but a judge did order Tori to stay away from Julissa for two years. During their separation, I think there must have been, it's a little bit hard to kind of get the actual correct timeline for this, but from what I can gather, there's been a, there was a bit of custody battle going on. In 2021, Eli was removed from Julissa's care and she, he was put into a foster home. This info about her behavior at the time is from the Star Tribune. It says she was arrested for stealing drugs from a health clinic and tested positive for methadone, methadone and Oxycontin. She was booted from two homes by landlords who were fed up with her antics, which drew police to her Farmington home 21 times in 10 months. She failed to attend court-ordered mental therapy, was kicked out of a, a required parenting class and had to find a new drug testing facility because of her bizarre behavior. So the courts had been considering placing Eli with Tori instead of in a foster home, but they didn't move forward with that after Julissa kept making allegations of domestic abuse against him. She wrote a letter to the judges and in it she wrote that she, as in herself, was an amazing parent who always put her son first. Just as kind of an interesting note, in Minnesota, unwed fathers have no custodial rights unless they're awarded by the court. So basically he had no right to Eli because they were never married. That's so weird. I know. Like, I, yeah, it just seems so out of date, such an out of date regulation to have because there's, a, you know, these days there's a lot of people who never get married. Yeah, especially in like situations like this. Yeah. So while Eli was in foster care, Julissa regularly told him that it was his own fault that he'd been taken from her care. She apparently suffered a psychotic episode. The reporting on this, again, is a little bit weird, but basically the episode ended up in Julissa being locked out of the house and there were, had been eggs smeared all over the floor. She told Eli that made them come and get you. So she blamed that kind of psychotic episode on Eli. 
Police visited Julissa's home as often as twice a week. Ambulance were requested several times after she fainted or complained of other health problems. Police also showed up after a neighbor reported banging and screaming. Eli became very wary of Julissa. During their supervised visits, he would hide behind furniture and refuse to talk to her. After their visits were finished, he often had bathroom accidents, and that's according to the social workers. So Tori also had visits with Eli during this time. Officials have said that he passed thorough background checks and was, quote, a stabilizing force in Eli's life. They documented no concerns about his fitness as a parent. One social worker said, Mr. Hart brings age-appropriate toys and activities and is very engaging with Eli. During these visits, Eli is noticeably smiling, talkative, energetic, and he seems to enjoy them. So in December 2021, the order we mentioned earlier where Tori was told to stay away from Julissa was up for renewal, but Julissa did not show up at the court hearing. When she was asked about that by a social worker, she said, I wanted to keep my options open. The social worker also made a note in the report at the time that Julissa had reached out to Tori's partner, who's a woman named Josie Josephson, and said that Tori should adopt Eli because he was, quote, a good guy. So despite this apparent change of heart, Julissa did another 360. Eli was allowed to move back into her home in December 2021 on a trial basis. At that time, she filed another domestic abuse claim against Tori. She accused him of telling Eli that he would make mummy disappear if she won custody. She also blamed Tori for Eli's behavioral problems at school, including hitting, biting, and urinating in his pants. These claims were rejected in court, but the filing meant that Tory couldn't get any public assistance in his custody battle. I have read a few um, like comments that say that basically Julissa kept bringing up things that happened years and years ago. So a lot of these, you know, claims that she made on an ongoing basis weren't current. Mm. In February 2022, a Ramsey County judge dismissed Julissa's request for a restraining order against Tory after finding that her allegations of, of abuse were not proven. She tried again in March 2022 to get another restraining order. On, on May 4, 2022, Eli's guardian, Sherry Larson, dismissed the latest request for a protective order because she said there were no new allegations and that she said she could find no solid evidence to support any of the claims. Julissa's grandmother, Linda, changed her mind about her abuse theories and said to her after the restraining order was filed, that man doesn't have a mean bone in his body. I said, you can drop the restraining order right now or you can consider our relationship done. And she said that was the last time I talked to her. So I guess Julissa cut her off after that. Um, Linda said about Tori, he's a good guy. So on March 11, 2022, Tori applied for full custody of Eli. On March 30, though, a judge ruled that Dakota County Social Services should maintain custody of him. The case was then given an inactive status while the Dakota County CPS case was being resolved. So just two months later, May 10, a Dakota County judge named Tim Wormager removed Eli from the state's protection. A Dakota County social worker and Eli's court-appointed guardian both recommended that Eli go back into Julissa's care. In her final report, the social worker, who was a woman named Beth Dina, noted that Julissa was, quote, taking her mental health medication regularly and had been taking Eli to all of his medical and therapy appointments since November. She wrote in her report, there is no current indication that her son is physically unsafe in her care. So just 10 days after she was awarded full custody of Eli, Julissa was stopped by police while she was driving her car. 
there's a search warrant that's public and I'll put it on the blog. This info comes directly from that, but some of it is a little bit graphic. So just kind of be warned for the next few minutes while we discuss what was found in the car. Um, basically, the search warrant says that uh, someone called the Hennepin County Dispatch to report a suspicious silver car driving on the rim of the car and that the back window was smashed out. It says at 7-11 hours, officers located the vehicle in question, noted that it was only operating on the rim on the front driver side tire. So they found Julissa in the car. They said that she looked very disheveled and had blood on her hands, face and clothing. There was also a lot of blood visible on the rear of the vehicle. When the police asked her why she was covered in blood, Julissa told them it was menstrual blood because she had been removing a tampon. That's just so ridiculous. Officers also noticed what appeared to be meat-like tissue matter in the vehicle. Julissa told them that she had deer meat and that she'd gotten it from an unknown butcher the night before. So I'm not entirely sure what happened, but the police right at this time didn't deem it necessary to you know, investigate the car any further. Insane. (laughs) They released Julissa from the scene. The officers said that she was growing impatient, cold, and refused to sit in the squad car. So some police officers drove her home. I just thought of how, you know, growing up, you're always, if you have like a male teacher or something, you're something you wanted to get out of. They're always like, just say you have your period because guys are just like, whoa, whoa, we don't want to talk about that. Yeah, so uncomfortable with that. I guess that maybe works with police too. So thankfully, though, the police did decide that day to impound the vehicle for further investigation. Once they did that, they also noticed bullet holes and more blood throughout the car. They finally opened up the trunk and they found a shotgun. There was also a gray blanket in there. When the blanket was moved, officers found a, quote, deceased apparent juvenile human body with heavy facial trauma. So police quickly went back to the address where they dropped Julissa off. She wasn't there. They looked at the CCTV and found that they had missed her by just minutes. She'd been uh, seen leaving the complex with a male. The clothes that Julissa had been wearing during the traffic stop were found in the washing machine. They didn't get very far and Julissa and her boyfriend, a man named Robert Picaranian, were taken into custody. Police tracked the damage that the tireless rim had done and along the route they found more human remains as well as a child's car seat that had been damaged by a gunshot blast. This implies to me that Julissa shot Eli basically while he was buckled in the car seat. And there was, there'd be no other reason for the car seat to have a shotgun blast. You wouldn't. Yeah. The Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office confirmed that Eli's cause of death was from multiple gunshot wounds. Julissa is thought to have shot Eli up to nine times and I feel like his injuries – And the damage done by the shotgun must have been so horrendous if they couldn't even determine the actual amount of shots fired. Yeah, and like a shotgun at close range does a lot lot of damage. Especially in a tiny little body. So Julissa had purchased the shotgun in March 2022. She told a friend that she wanted to learn how to use the gun, so the friend took her to a gun range over a two-day period. She, Julissa was charged with second degree murder. She remains in jail in lieu of a $2 million bail and she faces up to 40 years in prison. Her grandmother, Linda, said, I blame the court system for not helping her out. We all told the social workers that she needs to be institutionalized, not just for a month, but maybe for a year or more, but nobody listened. Tori's partner, Josie, has also been quite vocal about the murder. She said, I can't even tell you how many times we expressed our concerns. I'm beyond frustrated that the system failed Eli. Nobody would help us. I always thought there was a missing piece in Tori. It wasn't until he was reunited with Eli that the light went back on in his eyes. So I feel like this case is just 
tragic. They had every opportunity to help Eli. They had a willing father who seemed who seems competent, seems loving, um, but they didn't even give him an opportunity really to have care and you know guardianship of Eli. It's just like crazy to me how, like you said, they wouldn't even like look into giving him custody at all and would rather have him either in foster care or with his mother who was clearly struggling where, I mean, not that we know Tori, but just from these accounts, it seems like he would have been the better option for Eli to stay with. It sounds like they did have a toxic relationship, but you know, who knows, maybe if they were, I'm I'm talking about Eli and sorry, um, Julissa and Tori. So even if they were separate, he still could have, you know, had the potential to be a good father aside from that. Yeah. But yeah. Even if he was also flawed, it still seemed like the better choice of the three options. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but it's just, this is, I feel like with a lot of the moms who murder type cases or cases where a kid dies, a lot of times it's like, oh, the system failed them. And it seems like that's definitely the case in this story. It also um, kind of failed Julissa. Like, it seems like she had a hard time getting like proper help. Just seems like she was brushed aside a lot. I mean, even the cops who saw her covered in blood with like tissue in the back of her car in the car cover and blood were like all right well you have a good day hello she needs help (laughs) no yeah so i know that this case was quite high profile in minnesota um so maybe some good will come from it in terms of reform and stricter controls in terms of guardianship of children i guess we can always hope but i know the system is very flawed it seems yeah definitely brings a light to some of their outdated policies and laws So the next story we're going to talk about is the case of Angela Flores. Angela allegedly murdered her three children on Mother's Day this year. This is a a pretty crazy story because she was apparently helped by her 16-year-old son. So on Sunday, May 8th, 2022, police were called to a property on Victory Boulevard in Woodland Hills, California. Um, A homeowner reported that their neighbor, Angela Flores, had entered their property with a Bible and a candle. Angela was new to the area and had recently moved from Texas. The homeowner named Priscilla Canales spoke to the media and said that she heard screaming late on May 7th. She said, I couldn't see anybody. I just kept hearing my family is abusing me. And I just kept hearing screaming, but I couldn't make out what she was saying. I can hear her saying, ow, ow, ow. I guess they were trying to arrest her or restrain her. They brought her out on the stretcher and she was lying down and would just pop up out of nowhere and yell, where's my Bible? Where's my Bible? Angela was taken to the hospital by paramedics. She must have been discharged pretty quickly because just hours later on May 8th, 2022, at 7.40 a.m., a 911 call came in from her home. Um, the caller reported an assault with a deadly weapon. So I did. I have found some kind of varying reports on this case. Um, one report I have read from the LA Times said that she was actually still in hospital when the call came in and that someone from the house went and told a neighbor that there were injured children inside. So there are some kind of reports that the police didn't even go inside to check the family once they took her to the hospital and the kids were in there for hours, which we'll get to in a minute. But you know, that's I've only seen that reported in one article, but I just wanted to put it in just in case that is the actual case. Interesting. Um, So the police then issued the following statement. It says officers arrived at the location and found three juveniles unresponsive inside the location, ages ranging from 8 to 12 years old. Los Angeles City Fire Department paramedics were called to the scene and determined all three children were deceased. Online reports identified the children as Natalie Flores, who is 12, Kevin Yanez, 10, 
and Nathan Yen is eight. There are some reports that say Kevin and Nathan were eight-year-old twins. Um, I, the, the majority I have seen say that they were 10 and 8. So I don't know. It, it doesn't really, I guess, make too much of a difference to the story. I tried to have a look and see if they were on the medical examiner site so I could clarify they're not on there and I can't find any obituaries or anything. So just wanted to say that there are two kind of different, you know, variations to the story. We just try to um, include all the different things that we hear just to minimize the people messaging us being like, hey, you're wrong about this, just so you know. <laughs> and, you know, we do we do try and check if we can. I tried and there, there was no way I could find out what was true. So, yeah, yeah. either 10 and 8 or both 8. Yeah, we do try. <laughs> um, Kevin and Nathan were both students at Ivy Academia. A neighbor named Stephen Hayes spoke to the media about the family. He said, they look like nice, normal people. It's one of the nicest looking houses on the block, as if that matters. <laughs> I have seen lots of comments. Like I think I posted this one on the Facebook page and everyone's like, wow, this is a really wealthy area. You know, obviously mental illness doesn't discriminate. It can happen anywhere. But, yeah, from the sounds of it, it was a very family-oriented, um, you know, that type of area. And people are always um, very, not infatuated, but, I don't know the right word. Maybe you can help me. But people are always way more curious about crimes that happen to people who seem well off for some yeah. reason. I, I think, think just like lifestyles of the rich and famous, but it's not always maybe, that great. Maybe fascinated. Um, yeah. Yeah. I did. I kind of, I'm just trying to think what post it was the other day and it was about money and they're like, you know, obviously money doesn't make a difference. Like I, th I feel like sometimes the fascination might come from essentially these people, if they if they had money, should maybe have more access to resources, which isn't fair, but sometimes that's how it is. So, um, yeah, I think that's maybe why things just aren't always what they seem. Yeah, and just kind of the subconscious, like it sounds shitty to say, but just the subconscious almost like jealousy or like everyone wishes that they had all this money. So when you hear that bad things also happen to very well-off people, it not that it makes people feel good, but it's just like, oh, there are also normal people that bad things happen to. Yeah, it's it's just more unexpected, I think, whether, you know, whether or not that's the right, um, you know, kind of perception to have. But it does seem sometimes like a bit more unexpected. It's human nature, I think. It's like, yeah. it's the same reason why people are obsessed with celebrity gossip. Why people are obsessed with like the horrible stories of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. It's and also when... Even like when Kanye was going on his Instagram rants, I feel like people were so yeah. fascinated because, you know, she had <clears> no like Kanye Kardashian. West. Yeah, and Kim had no control over what he was doing. Like, you know, you think with all this money and things like that, it wouldn't happen. But sometimes but they have perfect lives. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they don't. So Angela is said to have had seven children, but three of the kids lived elsewhere with their father. The seventh unaccounted for child is the sixteen-year-old son. We haven't seen him identified anywhere, but he was taken into custody at this time. Also part of the police's statement, they said the children's mother, 38-year-old Angela Flores, and a 16-year-old subject were detained for further investigation. During the subsequent investigation, Flores admitted to killing her children with the assistance of her 16-year-old, uh, with assistance of the 16-year-old subject. They are small, bright lights on another dark day in this West Hills community. As friends and strangers couldn't help but stop by the home where three small children died over the weekend. To put some stuff down. Yeah, why was that important to you? 
because it reminds me of him. Some of the saddest are also the youngest. Isabella Gabriel has already come by three times today, each time with a new drawing for her second grade classmate, Nathan Yanez. What do you remember about Nathan? Playing together. I heard he was always smiling. Yeah. Yeah. What did he like to play? Football. The older children may voice it better, but the confusion is still clear. I wrote letters and my whole class wrote letters. I said, you're Kevin. I'm really emotional. You were my best friend. I would always play football with you and I love you. Kevin and Nathan Yanez and their sister Natalie Flores were found dead Sunday morning. Police arrested their mother Angela Flores and their 16 year old brother for murder. It's really hard and sad for the school and for the whole community. The father of the two boys lives out of state but released a statement saying in part the family is shocked and saddened by this horrific situation. They ask that everyone respect their privacy. Flores rented this home and neighbors say had only been here a few months. Her landlord also released a statement saying, I find this heart wrenching, especially because I knew the innocent young children and had met them just three weeks prior to this incident. I hope the responsible parties receive the maximum available punishment under the law. People quickly sought out Angela's social media, which is still online somehow. Usually things Usually when people are involved in like, crimes like this, they get taken down very quickly, either by family members, someone, the internet. I don't know. I feel like sometimes when profiles get a lot of attention, Facebook kind of hides them just to be like, whoa, what's going on here? I think with one of, you know, like, I remember, like there's been times where I'm actually looking on someone's profile as it's being deleted. So, you know, it stops loading and, you know, only parts of it load and things like that. So I think it has to just be like Facebook and Instagram's kind of spam detectors. Yeah. Like when they see a lot of attention on one page all of a sudden, they probably kind of pull it down until they can look into it. And then, you know, obviously happens a lot with like mass shootings once like yeah. the person's name gets out. Literally with I'm- the with the Uvalde shooting, when his name came out, his Facebook and profiles disappeared so quickly. But I was looking at it and then just while you're looking at it, it's gone. Yeah. So she... Angela, she made a post on May 1st saying, Evangelist Dash, a person who seeks to convert others, especially by public preaching, a zealous advocate for a cause. One of Angela's ex-partners started speaking to the media, Jacob Corona, and he said that a week before the murders, Angela called him and she was ranting and raving about religion. He said, she was telling me all this stuff about God. She didn't sound right. I don't really know what happened. She wasn't really religious before, but then she got talking about death. I told her, what's going on? My head was going over so many things, but I didn't think anything of it. Angela first appeared in court on May 11th, 2022. During her appearance, she said that she wished to delay her hearing as she faces three counts of murder. Judge David Yaroslavsky granted the request. Her bail is set at $6 million, and she's due to appear in court in August. She is being represented by a public defender in the case and is being held at the Women's Jail in Linwood, California. When in juvenile court, Angela's unnamed 16-year-old son pleaded not guilty to the crime of assisting his mother in one of the horrific murders. He is being held at Silmar Juvenile Hall. Um, He's due in court again on May 25th, 2022, but we couldn't find any updates on what happened. It'll probably be kind of hard because he's a minor. 
I've just had another look. There's nothing on there about the son. I, I don't know if he's still being held. I don't know. We, we don't know anything about kind of what his involvement was in the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel and like then, he may have been coerced by her or kind of forced to participate by her because I feel like if he really actually willingly took part in the murders, there would be more on that. Yeah, probably. I would Like if the mom was like killing them or acting like she's going to kill them and you're just also there as a pretty young kid, like what are you going to do? Like if she's like kill them or I'm going to kill you. I don't know. Yeah. Very scary. Very stressful. We might find out more in August when she goes to court again. Yeah, because I think if it was a situation like that, she'd probably get more charges or something. Like you have yeah, to get in trouble for forcing your child to murder your other children if that's what happened. It's weird because like there was you there was um like articles right about the time and there literally hasn't been anything for four weeks. So yeah. there was articles for a few days after this happened and then there's nothing else. So yeah, that was another one where it's like a lot at once and then nothing. Yeah. Um, and I know we we've also talked about this before, specifically with the um, like the CTE episodes with Chris Benoit and Philip Adams, and I'm sure there's others. Lori Vallow. Well, she was kind of always crazy. <laughs> Any time where someone who's not generally religious starts talking religion like this, I pre- it's probably always a red flag. It's always yeah. a bad sign when someone all of a sudden is a hardcore religious extremist, like um, Matthew Coleman, the dad who yes. took his kids to Mexico and murdered them with a spear fishing gun. He, before he did that, was having these crazy, crazy extremist religious posts on his Facebooks and stuff. So everyone remember, that's a red flag. Not normal religious people posting about religion like they normally do when someone who doesn't normally all of a sudden is. You know it when you see it. This one's quite interesting because I can't really find any backstory on Angela. Like, you know, with Julissa, she had a history of mental health and a history of drug abuse and things like that. Whereas with Angela, I can't really find anything. Like, she moved from Kansas. She seemed to hold a steady job. She had, you know, she did have a lot of children, which isn't, you know. But, like, that's there's nothing. There's no prior warning for this, it seems like. Obviously, she posted that evangelist post on May 1, which was – you know, 10 or 11 days before she murdered the children. But I wonder how long her, you know, her mental well, health issues have been going on. Yeah, what what happened? Like, we don't know if drugs were involved. They could have been. Um, but, yeah, I wonder when her kind of um, decline started. And I know we talked about this outside of recording the podcast, but just, like, obviously we don't know the case. She could have had episodes for years. I'm just saying as like a general thought, the world has been so stressful lately for people, especially, I'm not going to say especially in the US, but the whole world seems like it's falling apart these days. Everything's very expensive. Um, There's formula shortages. There's shortages on everything. So many places going out of business, people struggling with their jobs, not making enough money. Um, The pandemic, even though it's like over-ish, it's still lingering. It just seems like there's something new every day and if you're already susceptible to feeling depressed or starting to feel very stressed out about that I feel like it is something that could just like make people snap one day because it's all very overwhelming right now um and that could be like the case with some of these other stories too like you just never know what's going on in someone's life yeah I feel like I feel that the cases that we're talking about are quite different like some involve drugs some involve mental health you know but yeah, you just never ever know the kind of catalyst for these things to happen. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so <clears throat> the next case happened in May 2022. Again, this one, you know, they all probably warrant a disclaimer. This whole episode is sadly about child murder. This one is has some graphic details, so just kind of a listener discretion advised again. So this time we're in Pearl, Mississippi, and we're going to discuss the case of Michaela Jolly. I have seen her name written as both Michaela and Michaelia. We will go with Michaelia because that's what is used by police. I think her Facebook says Michaela, so anyway, it doesn't really matter, but just to kind of note discrepancy. Michaelia is a 20-year-old with two children. Her Facebook says their names are Princeton Cash and Khaleesi Lachey. I believe both babies were young. Khaleesi was around eight weeks old. And according to Michaela's Facebook, Princeton was an infant in June 2021. So they may be around a year apart or very close to that anyway. So she had two babies in a very close time frame and very for a very young person. Mm-hmm. On May 12, 2022, calls started flooding into 911 in the area. The Pearl Police Department made this post and they said several 911 calls came into Pearl Police at 2 p.m. on Thursday, May 12, saying a woman had repeatedly and forcibly thrown a baby on the roadway. When police arrived, they found Michaela holding a horrifically injured eight-year-old Khaleesi. They tried. They quickly took the baby into hospital and Michaela tried to flee into nearby woods, but she was quickly apprehended. The police chief, Dean Scott, said, We shut the city of Pearl down. She was heavily escorted, I'll say that. At this point, all we can do is say a prayer for the child. The good Lord figures this baby is too good for this world. The act was very deliberate and intentional. So Khaleesi remained in hospital for days and she passed away on Saturday, May 14, 2022 at 4.33 p.m. Michaela has been charged with capital murder and the death penalty will be sought. Police have said that Michaela showed no remorse for her actions. They said Khaleesi was the victim of a very cruel intentional abuse by her mother. And that was the police chief, Scott, saying that. He also said, I would encourage people, the Facebook judge and jury, to feel sympathy for the victim. It's a weird thing to, like, who who isn't feeling sympathy that you have to drag in, like, the Facebook judge and jury. (laughs) Weird. Like, I I don't know anyone who would really defend this action. Like, I'm sure she had which we can talk about at the end, but I'm sure she had probably some drug abuse issues and maybe some mental health things, but I still feel like there's no way anyone could make an excuse for this feel crime. unsympathetic for the victim. Yeah. So the police chief also said that narcotics and patrol officers are, quote, very familiar with Michaela. Michaela's neighbour spoke to the media and she said, I don't understand. Something had to go wrong postpartum or something because she really is a very good mother. I don't understand what happened. So I did find Khaleesi's obituary online. It's very short. It just says, Khaleesi Lachey Jolly went home to be with Jesus on Saturday, May 14, 2022. Khaleesi is survived by her mother, Michaelia, brother Cash, which I think is Princeton Cash, great-grandmother, and just lists the rest of her relatives. That's all it says. So um, a very short obituary for a very short life, sadly. I wonder where the um, other baby was during this. Yeah, I'd be interested to know if she had custody of the baby or, um, again, this is another one where there's been kind of radio silence since it happened. There's no additional articles, um, you know, no kind of update. I tried to find when she would be going to court next. I can't find anything on that. Um, I'm assuming she's probably undergoing some type of um, mental health treatment in while she's incarcerated. Yeah, definitely seems like some sort of mental break because it's also just like a very random 
way to go about killing a baby. Not I that feel like there's it, not random ones, but you know what I mean, right? Like, yeah. I feel like this is the only case that we are discussing today where postpartum psychosis or something similar to that could be part of it. The other children in most of the other cases are older. I know it can go on for years, but Eli Hart is probably maybe a little bit too old for her to use that as a you know reason, whereas this one I feel could very well have played a part in that. Yeah, because Cat was Cash the younger one? Cash was the younger one, yeah. And so she had two babies in like a year. Yeah. So um, that's a lot for anyone, especially a 20-year-old woman who doesn't seem to have a great support network. Yeah, definitely a lot of And I also also don't, um, you know, I think it's probably very likely too that drugs did play a part if the police had said that the narcotics officers were very familiar with her. So yeah, I think there was a lot of things going on with this one. Mm -hmm. So the next one we're going to talk about is about Trin Nguyen and this one also happened in May 2022 so it seems like it was a big month for a mothers murdering their kids for some reason or at least ones that made the media anyways I'm not sure I'm sure there's ones in other times of the year that just don't make the news so on May 2nd 2022 around 7 a.m. Trin Nguyen approached her nephew Gianni Melchiando who is 22 years old at their home in Bucks County Pennsylvania We believe that Trin lived with her two sons, Jeffrey, he's also known as JT, who was 13 years old, and Nelson, who was nine, in the same home as the Melchiando family. Trin and the boys lived in the in-law suite of the house. So it seems like there was some ongoing family drama. Trin had split from her husband, Ed Tinney, in 2021. Um, Ed was the father of Trin's son, Nelson. Trin had also been refusing to leave the property following the split. We think the home is owned by Corinna Tinney Melchiando, which seems like Ed's sister. So I know I just threw a lot of names at you, basically. So there's Trin. She has two sons, Jeffrey and Nelson. She used to be married to Ed. And it seems like Ed's sister owns the house that Trin and her sons also live in. Yeah, right? it's a big extended family. Um, and it seems like, yeah, Ed was living somewhere else, so... Yeah, Ed, uh, Trin was living in this ex-sister-in-law's house. Yeah. Near and flowchart. <laughs> Gianni is the nephew who also lived there. Yeah. So two families basically live there, it seems. Krina, who owns the house and is related to Ed, she alleged that Trin owed over $11,000 in rent and that she was in the process of evicting her. Trin and Ed had moved to the home in 2012 and Trin's lease was terminated in September 2021, which was a month before her divorce with Ed was finalized. As part of the divorce settlement, Trin was ordered to post $2,400 per month in rent, but didn't pay June through December of 2021. So Corinna's attorney wrote Trin a letter in September 2021, which suggested there was animosity between the two of them. The attorney threatened legal action if Trin, if she didn't stop engaging in, quote, threatening and verbally abusive behavior. The letter accused Trin of engaging in acts that, quote, damaged or defaced the property, including dumping dog feces by her landlord's front door. The letter said such conduct will no longer be tolerated. The police will be contacted should you act in any inappropriate or abusive manner toward my client. Just a little info about the house. It is two homes in one, 2.7 acres with pool and privacy walkout basement, four-car garage, six fireplaces, two kitchen, two-and-a-half master baths, six bedrooms all together. So, like we said, two families live in this house, but it's, like, pretty – it's a big house. It's, like, meant for 
to do a lot of there. Um, Trin was trying to get her life back on track, and she started selling false eyelashes online to try to make ends meet. She was under some stress as she had an upcoming court hearing scheduled with Ed. He wanted to stop her from taking their son to Vietnam for summer vacation. This info comes from the morning call. It says, Ed said he feared his wife would take Nelson and never return, calling her, quote, a classic parent kidnapper in court documents. Trin denied that she intended to remain in Vietnam and that she was described as, quote, insulted by the accusations in a custody conference evaluator report. So Trin was no stranger to custody battles. She had gone through a three-year legal battle with her first ex-husband, Scott Din. The couple divorced in 2009, and Scott was awarded physical custody of the oldest child, then around age four. Trin was awarded physical custody of Jeffrey, who was an infant. Seems like kind of a weird ruling to split up the siblings. I don't know. We're I feel like that doesn't happen often. About this episode. I feel like in like the 50s and things like that, you heard of, you know, if parents split up, the female children would go and live with the mother and the male children would go and live with the father. But I feel like it doesn't seem to happen a lot these days that they actually I feel split like they try up. to keep them together unless they yeah. can't for some reason. Yeah. So I don't know. It just seems like a, an, an unusual ruling in that case. Yeah. Um, Trin tried to reunite with her oldest son, but her attempts failed. A judge ended up ruling that her oldest child would stay with the father, as uprooting him at this point would be a substantial disruption in his life. Her attorney from the first custody battle spoke to the media and said that Trin is, she's very tiny, so her demure personality seems to match her stature. Um, attorney Diane C. Howard said she also said she was always very quiet, soft-spoken, and pleasant to be around, even when dealing with the very stressful situation with her son. A lot of this info coming up comes from the police affidavit. We'll put the whole thing in the blog, as always. So it said, Gianni was getting ready for work, and he was putting his things in his vehicle when Trin approached him. Again, Gianni is the nephew that lives there. She gave him a box of photos and asked Gianni to give them to her ex-husband, Ed, because Ed and Gianni work together. Johnny then turned around to talk to Trin and was met with a black revolver pointing in his face. So Trin pulled the trigger twice, but the gun didn't fire, luckily for him. Oh my gosh, I know that was the luckiest day of his life. I know. I, I feel like you'd have such a trauma from that, like how fucking lucky that was. Gianni managed to disarm Trin by wrapping her in a bear hug. Trin asked for the gun back and said it wasn't loaded, which was a lie because Gianni examined the gun and found that there were multiple rounds inside of it, actually. So he ran inside and locked the door. Trin got into her white Toyota Sienna minivan and drove away from the scene. Gianni told his mom about what happened, and when she realized what was going on, she ran to check on Trin's son. So this is Corinna, who is Gianni's mother and Probably also the Probably the, the boy's auntie, maybe, yeah. as well. So she ran to check on the sons, and she found both of them with gunshot wounds to their heads. Um, the Bucks County District Attorney, Matt Weintraub, said upon entry, both boys were found still alive, but in their bed with gunshot wounds to their heads. Police started searching for Trin. They found her at 1130 a.m. on the same day. She was sitting inside her minivan outside a church in Washington Crossing, Pennsylvania. She was removed from the van and was taken into custody. Police have said that she was barely conscious and appeared to be under the influence of an unknown substance. She was taken to a hospital and was discharged into incarceration on the same day. Um, when police searched the Toyota minivan, they found a .38 caliber. Oh, they found .38 caliber ammunition, several empty heroin packages, several full heroin packages, and blood. There was also a note found in the vehicle that said, 
Please call 911. My children are dead in their bed at 119 Timber Ridge Road. Police also searched the suite where Trin and the boys had been living. They found a handwritten will dated April 25th, 2022, and it was signed by Trin. In the will, she detailed what should be done with her ashes as well as the ashes of her sons. So clearly she had this thought for some time. They found a black 38 caliber revolver. This is probably the gun that Trin used and Gianni took from her. Police also discovered that Trin was due to be evicted from the property on the day following the murders. Trin told police that she did not flee the scene, but that she went to New Jersey to obtain heroin with which she planned to kill herself. She told police she never used drugs in the past. On May 6, 2022, so this is four days after the children were shot, Nelson passed away at 11.47 a.m. and JT passed away at 3.24 p.m. Investigators worked into the evening Monday in this upscale Upper Makefield Township neighborhood surrounding a duplex on Timber Ridge Road where police say 38-year-old Trin Nguyen shot her two sons in their beds and tried to shoot a 22-year-old duplex neighbor, the son of her landlord, according to court records. There are neighborhood kids and we see them, you know, playing around in their fields and, you know, but we could never expect something like that would take place in this kind of a neighborhood. The Bucks County District Attorney says that 22-year-old neighbor called police just after 7 a.m. He said Nguyen tried to hand him a box of photos to give to her ex-husband, whom he works with, and then tried to shoot him. He saw Nguyen pointing a black revolver to his face. Nguyen then pulled the trigger two times, but by the grace of God, the gun did not fire. The DA, Matt Weintraub, said, I've been praying for these boys and their surviving family for days. I'm so sad to hear of their passing. This defendant's murder of two of her sons is unconscionable and horrific. We'll do what needs to be done to seek justice for all of them. So Trin has been charged with first-degree murder, attempted murder, possessing instruments of crime, and possession of a controlled substance. So again, this is one where there's kind of been no further information since this happened. I haven't been able to find out anything else about when she's due in court or anything like that. The, all the articles are from one month ago at the time of recording. So, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully we'll hear soon more about what will happen with Trin. Yeah, this seems like another one where stress of life could have just kind of come to a head, like with yeah. the state of the world, being evicted from your house, like where is she going to go? Clearly she was in a lot of debt, uh, court cases, so that can all be very overwhelming and I feel like mate like obviously this is just speculation but I feel like in this one part of it too could have been getting back at the husband it sounds like their divorce was messy and um you know mm-hmm. she maybe didn't want the sons to go or the one son to go with Ed so maybe that could have played a part in it yeah and by saying like the stress could have came to a head I feel like I always have to just preface so everyone should know by now i'm not saying that that's an excuse or like being very stressed is an excuse to murder your children i'm saying like that could the amount of stress could trigger something in someone's brain just like mental health issues like do you just snap but like we always say we just like to discuss what could have happened exactly but no i'm very stressed out all the time also i'm not (laughs) trying to murder anyone i'm sure there are people who are much more stressed out than trim that aren't murdering anyone yeah just to be clear (laughs) So the final case we're going to chat about today is a little bit older. It's from September 2021. It's about a woman named Fallon Harris, who was 37, and her husband, Lavon Ingram. They had two children together, Brianna, who was 18 when this happened, and Caden, who was 12. Caden has said that he wanted to help people when he got older. He alternated between wanting to be a police officer and a pediatrician, and sometimes he wanted to be a professional wrestler. Hardcore. Um, 
Yeah. This info about Caden is from the Chicago Tribune. It says, unlike so much Unlike so many other his electronics-obsessed peers, Caden wasn't scrolling TikTok for the latest dance trends, according to his father. He apparently spent much of his free time on YouTube watching videos about figures in world history such as Adolf Hitler and Genghis Khan. He said, I'm going to keep my grades up. I want to go to Whitney Young High School, his father said. Caden was a very lovable child. He was still a child of innocence with a pure heart, the heart of a kid. So Caden also loved baseball. His favorite team was the Cubs. His father said that he was, quote, obsessed. He was more ecstatic about them winning the World Series than I was. And Caden was also becoming increasingly independent. His father said he wanted to be able to ride the train or take the bus on his own. I was going to get him a venture card and I figured I'd follow him on the first few trips to make sure he could do it. In late 2021, Levon separated from Fallon and he moved out of the home they all shared. He spoke to the media and said that their marital problems stemmed from her increasing paranoia and distrust. Lavon said, I talked to her and said, we have to look at some type of therapy. We have to seek some type of counseling. She wasn't eating. She wasn't her normal self. I wanted her to get evaluated. I pushed her to go see a therapist and her first session was the day before, as in the day before this all happened. Hmm. Fallon's mother Mia has also spoken about how Fallon had things going on. Fallon wouldn't take her calls and Mia lived in Arizona, but she was so worried that she flew to Chicago just days before this took place. Mia said, I needed to see her. She didn't sound like herself, so I decided to just come hop on a plane. I figured she can't hang up on me if I'm sitting in her face. So Mia and Fallon spent Friday, September 10 together. They met together with Fallon's employer, who is the Chicago Department of Transportation, and all parties agreed that Fallon needed treatment. It was agreed that she would go and see a psychotherapist, and I believe she must have done that the same day. After she had her session, Mia asked how it went, and Fallon said she didn't want to talk about it. She said, Mum, I just want to be Fallon again. Fallon had lost a lot of weight leading up to this because she had no interest in food and she'd also stopped socializing. Mia has also mentioned that Caden knew something was going on with his mum. She said, I spoke with him and he was suddenly so mature. He said, there's something wrong with my mum, but I'm going to pray for her. Mia said, I didn't even know he knew how to pray. So on September 11th, 2021, Fallon asked Caden where he'd put an SD card that had been removed from her vehicle the night before. Just to note, um, Fallon had no criminal history prior to this. She, She did own two guns legally and she had a concealed carry permit. Apparently, this whole um, event was captured on video, which is why they have such a clear timeline of what happened. After Fallon asked Caden about the SD card, she threatened him with a gun. When he didn't give the card to her, she shot him once. Caden can be seen on the video conscious and crying after the first shot. Then I think Fallon's phone must have rang and she answered it. When she was done with the call, she walked back to Caden and asked again for the card. When he said he didn't know where it was, she shot him again. He collapsed and died on the kitchen floor. Fallon told family members what she had done and those family members called police. When the police arrived at Fallon's home, she answered the door and led them to Caden's body and a silver revolver. She was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. When Fallon appeared in court, she broke down and said, can I talk to my mama? Lavelle said at the time that he believed Fallon was detached from reality. I don't even think she understands what happened. Quiz on historical events and stuff like that. Caden Ingram's dad says he was a typical seventh grader. He was into uh, basketball, baseball, very, very huge Cubs fan. Close with his family and especially his mom, Fallon. That's best friend. 
because that's what she called Caitlyn, best friend. All her social media, any picture, it was hashtag best friend. She loved him fiercely. That's why they say they didn't see it coming. Prosecutors say Fallon Harris killed Caden inside their Southside home Saturday morning when Caden couldn't tell her where an SD memory card was. Prosecutors say she shot him twice in the head. The second shot captured on video, Caden collapsing on the kitchen floor. She's now charged with first degree murder. That wasn't, that was Fallon's body that committed that horrible act, but it wasn't Fallon's mind or her heart that did it. Fallon's mom says they started noticing changes in her behavior over the last six to eight months, but never thought Caden was in danger. She wasn't a monster, and she loved her son with every fiber of her being. She needs help, you know, and people need to understand mental illness is real. So again, this is another case where there's kind of been radio silence. I wonder if Fallon is um, receiving mental health treatment because there's nothing about her going back to court or any kind of upcoming court date. So I wonder if she has been um, yeah, undergoing treatment for the last few months. Yeah, probably. I feel like this is a clear case of a mental health situation where she just, like, like her husband said, detached from reality. I don't know. I don't, I can't even begin to speculate what her diagnosis would be, but I feel like she seemed to be a loving mother up until this. Like there's photos of Caden online. He's so cute and sweet. He looks very well cared for. Yeah. Um, I feel like this was just a very sad mental health incident. Yeah. It's so scary, like how that happens. Yeah. Just as kind of a, a you know an inter- a few interesting points about this topic, um, I did find an article which I'll link on the blog, and it says that researchers have identified general characteristics and patterns among parents who have killed their children, but it's not something that can easily be predicted. The main kind of I guess triggers are financial problems, single parenthood, multiple children, substance abuse, and mental illness. Prolonged periods of stress can also lead parents with poor coping skills to reach a mental breaking point. There's a quote from psychologist Dr. Lewis Schlesinger, Schlesinger, and he said, there are many, many motives, many dynamics, many circumstances. You can't say A, B, C, D, and then there's murder. Um, He said, people want to look for a watershed event in someone's life and they aren't going to find it. There are multiple things that go on in people's lives. There's a stat and it says 500 times a year in the US, parents intentionally kill their own children and that's from a 2014 study and they estimate a mother kills a child somewhere in the US every three days. I feel like I thought it would probably be higher than that. I don't know, like it seems like you hear about it every single day but I guess it's just a heightened sense of, you know, you notice these things more when you are familiar with it. Yeah, one every three days, probably a lot. I th- it's pro- And so I intentionally right yeah yeah i think so family violence and filicide is what it is the actual correct term for when a mother kills their child or children i feel like it's kind of like a blurred line because if someone's abusing their child and kills them accidentally through abuse that probably technically doesn't count yeah i would say yeah i don't know but i guess it depends on if the abuse is kind of one single act of violence or a you know as opposed to neglect or something like that yeah So I feel like, as we mentioned at the start, this is going to be sadly something that isn't going to stop. We will be able to speak more about, you know, these type of cases. There's actually been one in Florida recently, um, which I was going to include in the episode in the last few days, of a mother who killed her two twin, I think they were three years old, two 
between children and she killed them by overdosing them on methamphetamine in a car and then she killed herself. So they were in this car in the hot Florida sun for days and months. So it's just one of those things. It's just there, there won't be an end to it. There's nothing, you know, all we can do is try and increase, I guess, treatment options and um, support networks for people. But I just feel like this is something that's going to always sadly happen. Yeah, definitely. For the reasons that we've mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. But that is it for this episode. Um, like we said, we could always make this an ongoing thing, sadly. If you want to learn more about any of the cases, they'll all be in separate blogs or? Yeah, I think blog? I'll do separate blogs for them just so it makes it easier to update if there are separate updates. So they'll all have their each little separate blog and I'll have all the sources, any... Um, like pictures, videos, anything like that. And you can um, always you find the blog links them. blog links in the show notes as well if you can't remember how to get to the blog. Yeah, it's just truecrimesocietyblog.com. But, yes, it's also linked in the episode description. Um, follow us on Instagram. That is probably where we're the most, most active. active with updates and all that. Um, you can follow our personal accounts, TCS Olivia and Steph Some underscore. They are linked in the True Crime Society Instagram bio and leave us a rating on apple if you haven't yet and also you can do it on spotify share the podcast share with your friends share with everyone it's a big help to us when you do that and also if you are interested in any of our sponsors they're all linked in the episode notes it really helps us out when you guys check them out and use our codes it is a great way to support the show and help us keep doing this without getting too burned out (laughs) very on topic (laughs) yes um so that is it really we will talk to you guys next week um thanks for listening peace out thanks see you